Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. I am just thrilled that you're joining me again today. You know, I want to start by thanking each of you for tuning in. As I've shared before, you know, my sole purpose in doing this podcast is because it's truly aligned with my own purpose, helping as many teams and leaders as possible to truly thrive more and struggle less. And, you know, as I've shared a few times before, I believe, I believe that life and work really aren't meant to be a struggle. They're meant to be challenging. Absolutely. That's part of where the joy comes from, the challenge. But they certainly aren't meant to be a struggle. And for too many people over these past 17 months, both life and work have been a struggle. I think that's an understatement. And so my goal through this podcast is to help alleviate a little bit of that struggle. So thank you for tuning in. And I'd love it if you would subscribe, share, rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast from. You know, I've been reflecting a lot on on these past 17 months, as well as talking to many leaders from CEOs to the front line. And there's one thing that's absolutely true. The past year and a half has given a new meaning to the role leaders play during times of change. And while many are beginning to see the light at the end of the pandemic tunnel, one thing is for sure, the volume and pace of change aren't slowing down anytime soon. And the ability to effectively support and lead people through change is one of the most important leadership skills in the post-pandemic era of work. And those organizations who can better position themselves to adapt and perform no matter what is around the corner, while at the same time enable their people to truly thrive through their work, will be those who prioritize the people side of change. You know, successful change can only happen through people. I say this over and over again. It's not possible to lead change in an organization without your people being fully engaged and bringing their best selves. And while there have been many leadership lessons gained over the past couple of years, none, I believe, are more important than the recognition that team cohesion and trust in leadership are two of the most important drivers, drivers of performance, of engagement, and well-being, especially during times of uncertainty and disruption. And in analyzing data from 4,000 employees across levels, regions, and geographies, Gartner found that employees who report high levels of trust in their leaders have an average capacity for change that is 2.6 times greater than those with low trust. Gartner also found that employees who experience strong team cohesion have a capacity for change that is 1.8 times greater than those who are not a part of a cohesive team. And what's interesting is that ADP Research Institute's largest global study of employee engagement found similar themes. 
After surveying over 19,000 workers across the globe, the study found that teams and trust are the most important influencers of employee engagement. And I had the opportunity to interview Marcus Buckingham after he, he and his team published this research. This was in 2019, before we even, you know, pandemic was even in our, our universe. Um, and you can find, you know, more about these findings in one of my Forbes articles entitled, The Results Are In, Employee Engagement Strategies Aren't Working. And so the evidence is clear. These are just two pieces of evidence, Gartner study and ADP research. Both share, both show the two most important factors are team cohesion and trust in our leadership. The evidence is clear and the organizations that will be ahead of the pack in the post-pandemic world will be those made up of leaders who are fanatically focused on building the cohesion and trust required to excel through change. And so in this episode, I'll be sharing the one leadership practice, just one, not going to overwhelm me with 20, one that puts people and culture at the center of strategy. And it's a practice that packs a powerful punch as it not only engages people in mean in a meaningful way in the change process, but it also builds the team cohesion and trust required every step of the way. So what's the practice? It's simple. Build open dialogue that encourages diverse thinking and shared understanding. Let me say that again. It's one practice. Building open dialogue that encourages diverse thinking and shared understanding. Now, the physicist David Bohm, who spent much of his life explaining dialogue from both philosophical and practical points of view, suggested, and this was really interesting, suggested that the derivation of the word dialogue, the Greek word dialogos, logos meaning word, and dia meaning through, means, quote, a stream of meaning flowing among and through us and between us. This will make possible a flow of meaning through the whole group, out of which may emerge some new understanding. It's something new, which may not have been in the starting point at all. It's something creative. And this shared meaning is the glue that holds people and societies together. That quote is from David Baum's book on dialogue that was published back in 1996. Now, true dialogue is too often lacking in teams, especially in teams where there is a greater focus being placed on creating efficiencies and completing tasks quickly, or in teams where individuals are directed and told instead of engaged and empowered. And in teams where people don't feel free to speak their hearts and minds or in teams where urgent issues detract attention from the most important work to be done, which is building collaborative relationships and communication that move business and teams forward to a better place towards the organization's vision. And, I sh and as I shared in the book, Winner Instinct, the book that I co-authored with my mom, by the way, Leslie Bendley, that as a side, I highly recommend you pick up. As I shared in the book, dialogue promotes shared understanding instead of individual understanding. And from shared understanding emerge new ideas, 
richer conclusions, better decisions, and far greater cohesion and trust in each other and in decisions made. So let's talk. I want to talk about dialogue here and what it really is. I want to differentiate dialogue from discussion. Okay. In discussion, let's start there. If you and I are in a discussion, we each basically have one responsibility. My responsibility is to get my point across to you, to get you to hear me, to convey my point of view. And you have the same responsibility to convey your point of view to me. And so in that, there can be a lot of friction when we're just talking at each other and solely focused on us sharing our point of view. Well, dialogue is a little different. Let's say you and I are in a dialogue, right? I have two responsibilities. We each have two responsibilities. My first responsibility is to seek to understand your point of view, your opinion, how you're feeling, your perspective, your ideas, your concerns, by asking questions and suspending judgment to truly understand where you're coming from. My second responsibility is to share my perspective in a respectful and open way. And you have the same two responsibilities in a dialogue with me, right? To seek to understand my point of view by asking questions and suspending judgment and then to share your point of view. True dialogue requires entering into a conversation in learner mode, as Dr. Marilee Adams states in her book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And if you do not have that book, go out, order it right now, because it is one of the most powerful books that you can have in your arsenal of tools, especially when it comes to building dialogue, building trust, building cohesion. And so true dialogue requires entering into a conversation in learner mode. Too often, unfortunately, we enter into conversations, we walk into meetings, we, we walk into situations in judger mode. We love to judge ourselves and other people. We may not even be conscious of it, but more often than not, we are judging ourselves. We talk to ourselves all of the time. Oh, I shouldn't ask that question. I'll look stupid. If I'll, I ask that question or if I make that comment or if I try to understand things from his perspective, I might look weak, right? Or judging another person. Why on earth would they believe that? That's a ridiculous opinion. That idea will never work here. That's not how things are done here. So what we say to ourselves has a direct impact on how we show up. Instead, for true dialogue to occur, we need to approach each conversation, each individual, each situation in learner mode. Right? Learner mode, as Marilee Adams shares, is a state of curiosity, curiosity about ourselves, about another person, about another, about a situation, about an idea, right? Where we actively suspend judgment and challenge our own assumptions about self and others by asking questions like, well, what can I learn from this? What do I need to better understand? How can I see this situation, see her, him, them differently? What assumptions do I need to let go of? Think about how often true dialogue happens in your team. 
Is time carved out for the sharing of ideas and opinions? And is that time spent in true dialogue with no judgment? Think about what is truly prioritized in your team meetings. Remember, what we focus on grows. Is making quick decisions what is prioritized? Protecting the status quo? Getting through the long list of items that generally accompanies a meeting agenda? Is priority placed on being right? Or is priority placed on learning, solving issues, identifying new opportunities and better ways of working together? In dialogue, nobody is trying to win. Judgment is set aside and the sole purpose is to seek understanding to achieve common ground. In dialogue, the goal isn't 100% agreement by all parties. The goal is to achieve shared understanding and respect for each other and each other's perspectives. Now let's bring this back to leading change. Dialogue is essential to leading change. Dialogue is what helps to prevent a very rigid response to change and promotes an open and productive response to change, even when people don't agree with the change. When we prioritize dialogue, teams focus on getting to a place where they agree to support the change. It's not about getting it to a place of 100% agreement with the change. It's about supporting the change, regardless of whether we agree with it or not. Let me give you an example. We know, for example, that there are three types of team responses to change. There's the rigid response, where the team digs its collective heels in and resists change at all costs. There is the complacent response, where the change doesn't stick because there's no urgency and accountability to it. And then there's the flexible response, where teams respond openly to the change with the goal of getting to a place of support. When a team or individual rigidly resists change, it's often due to the fact that they were not included in the decision-making or had opportunity to contribute to it, they weren't asked their opinion. They don't understand why the change is happening, what the purpose of it is. And most importantly, they weren't engaged in a dialogue where they could express their point of view, feelings, fears, concerns. Think about a time when you were upset about a change that was imposed on you at work. What were the reasons why you reacted rigidly to it? We've all been there. And when this happens, as a result, people move. I love this thing. I came across this somewhere in an article and I can't remember where, but as a result, people move to Pity City and they set up shop, focusing on all the reasons why the change is a terrible idea. They move to Pity City and they focus on all the reasons why the change is a terrible idea and they get stuck there. And this happens because the team hasn't been given the opportunity to come together to discuss the change openly, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the change. Instead, they are informed that the change is happening, right? They are not given the opportunity to discuss it, or maybe just a little bit certainly not give an opportunity to influence it or define the experience they'd like to have together as they execute against it, right? In a rigid response, change is being done to the team instead of by the team. 
Now let's look at it from the flexible response. The flexible team, a change compatible team, drives to Pity City for a pity cup of coffee, okay? Because they know high performance teams who are flexible know that it's essential to vent. It's essential to share concerns. It's essential to share fears. But instead of setting up shop, they turn around, drive back home with the intent to look for how to make the change work and have a productive, productive, that's, that's not a word, have a productive and enjoyable experience along the way. The main difference between the two? Well, flexible teams have leaders who engage them genuinely in dialogue from the outset. These leaders create space for venting, expressing fears and concerns, for allowing the team to express what they believe the impact of the change will be. Instead of the leader telling them what they experience will be or what the impacts are be, will be, teams are given the opportunity through dialogue to experience or to define, I should say, the experience they want to have so that they can have the biggest effect on change as possible. You know, over the past 20 years, I've been working with teams and leaders. I've been consistently asking two questions as they relate to building buy-in and engagement during times of change. And these two questions are, one, if you were being asked to lead a change that you don't 100% agree with, what do you need? in order to get to a place where you can 100% support it, even if you don't agree with it? And the second question, what causes you to react negatively to change? And the answers to these questions will give you insight into what you as a leader need to do differently in order to better engage your team members through change. Because so much change is coming. So on the other side of break, we'll get back to the answers of those two questions. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Lord Jesus Christ presents a doctrine through the Apostle Paul for us so that we might teach the word to others. Hear and interpret these words of wisdom each week on the radio program, Why Paul? 
with hosts Michael and Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton through their ministry, 14th Street Ministries. Michael, Michelle, and Pamela are dedicated to sharing these words with you so that you might pass it along to others. Listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at WaterstoneHC.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So before break, I shared with you that I've been asking, you know, teams and leaders two specific questions for over 20 years to better understand what triggers people into rigidly reacting to change and moving to pity city versus what enables people to truly approach change from an open, flexible perspective with the goal of getting to a place of supporting the change, regardless of whether they agree with it. So the first question, right? What do you need in order to support change? Well, the answers have been consistent over the past 20 years. First, people want to know why the change is occurring. Okay, why? What's the purpose? Why was this decision made, right? Then they also want to know, of course, what is the goal? What is the change aiming to achieve? What are we aiming for? They also want to know, of course, well, how, right? How, what's the process? How are we achieve it? So the logistics to a degree. They also want to understand the impact of the change, the good, the bad, the ugly, not the rose-colored glasses of all the great reasons why this decision was made, but the real, the reality of the impacts of the change to them, to their team members, to their team, to their customers, right? They also want to understand what's expected of them. And the top three things that people need in order to get to a place of support is one, to feel heard. Two, to be included, to be invited to participate. Right? And to trust their leaders. They need to trust their leaders in order to trust the change, regardless of whether they agree with it or not. The top three, to be heard, to be included, and to trust their leaders. That's what they need above and beyond anything else. And the second, what causes you to react negatively to change? Well, I'd like you to think about that. Take a minute, pause this if needed, and think about what causes you to react negatively to change, right? We all have our own reactions to change depending on our history, our past experiences with change, and our our change sort of um, threshold, right? But there are some commonalities, some common triggers that we found, regardless about of our threshold for change, can trigger us to negatively, negatively react. So here they are. When I'm told to change, right, when change is being done to me and I have no opportunity to talk about it, 
when my opinion is not sought. So the opposite of the, of the, of the first question, right? When I'm not heard, when I'm not invited, when I don't feel safe to ask questions. So there's no psychological safety. Another trigger is when I'm caught off guard. I didn't see it coming. It came out of the blue. When I don't understand the purpose of the change and what we are trying to achieve and how. And the top three reasons why people react rigidly to change. When I don't trust my leaders. When I don't feel heard. And when I don't feel like my leaders care about the impact the change has on me, my team members, the organization, or our customers. So there's a clear difference, right, between these two. One, the latter responses lead to rigid reactions to change where people get stuck in pity city and will actively resist the change. And that reaction results is part of the reason why over 50 to 70% of change initiatives fail. And that's pre-pandemic stats. That's the pre-mental health crisis we are experiencing, the pre-change fatigue crisis we are experiencing. Change can only happen through people. And if your people are not aligned, engaged, and invited to contribute throughout the entire change process, not just their sweat equity and skills and, and work, but their opinions, their fears, their concerns, their ideas, their questions, if they're not invited to share fully, then either your change initiative will fail or your culture will. Either way, success is moving farther and farther away. So we know there are three phases to change according to the William Bridges transition model, right? There's the ending phase, there's the neutral phase, and there's the new beginning. And dialogue is key to helping your people move through the ending phase to the beginning. It's the one thing that will get you through the ending to the new beginning. And the ending phase is all about mourning the status quo. It's about getting to a place of accepting that the current state will be changing and a new state will become the norm, at least for now, right? This requires, in order for people to let go of the current state and be open to embracing the new, the unknown, requires that people have time to vent, to mourn, to share. And it is essential that leaders prioritize building dialogue in this first phase by shifting from telling to asking. Shift from telling people what the change is happening and do it and dictating what is expected of them and dictating from your perspective what the impact of the change will be and shift to a dialogue where you spend most of the time asking your team members what they think about the change and allowing them to ask you questions, knowing that you might not even have all the answers and that's okay. In our Thriving in Times of Change program for leaders at the Waterstone Culture Institute, we share the strategies for building dialogue that results in support for change. And I want to share some of them with you now. You know, some essential practices include, first of all, starting at the very first piece, the very first step when you introduce the change, introducing it. At, at a high level early on with the purpose of allowing your team members to digest it, to ask questions and to share their perspective, knowing that 
when depending on the significance of the change, when your people go home that night, they're not talking about all of the great business reasons, strategic objectives, et cetera, that this change is designed to meet. They're going home talking to their partner, their friends, their family about how the change is going to impact them, what they're worried about, what they're scared about, what they're excited about. They're not even bringing likely the business objectives up at the beginning right? They're focused on how is this impacting me and my team members and my clients. And so instead of introducing the change out of the gate by telling them everything from your perspective and from what you know, introduce the change at a high level, focusing, remember, on what's most important, the purpose for the change, why change is happening, and the vision for the change and how it's aligned with the organization's future direction. Then open it up for dialogue by asking some key questions. And we share this through the leading Thriving in Times of Change program along with some other tools, right? So share the change and then create space for people to digest and share their first impressions with some questions. What are your first impressions of the change? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? What impact do you think the change will have on our customers, on our team, on our future direction? How do you think this change aligns with our vision? And what questions do you have right now? And remembering that, you know, sharing this once, creating dialogue once will not have a lasting effect, right? It's, it's regular practice of dialogue, sharing the change once, having one dialogue and calling it a day is not going to bring people along. Carving out time intentionally in your team meetings to come back to the changes that are in front of the team and checking in and continuing to share information is essential. Ongoing communication. Keep coming back, right? Because remember, when you first introduce the change, People are not thinking about the strategy. They're thinking about how the change is impacting them. It's also essential to share frequent and transparent information. Keep your team in the know. And demonstrate that you care. There will be people on your team who are at different levels of acceptance different levels of readiness. Some may already be at the new beginning while people are at the, at the very first stage of letting go. So being able to demonstrate empathy and understanding that each person is going to have a different experience and that you understand that and recognize that is essential to not only engaging people in change, but building that trust that you care. Be patient and supportive. Now, one way to truly build engagement and clarify expectations around what's essential during times of change and to create, you'll give your team the opportunity to define their experience is through the development of change agreements. Now, if you listen to me regularly, you've likely heard me talk about team agreements, right? Change agreements are, are very similar. They're the same, but focused on 
change, obviously, right? It's a tool that enables people to clarify expectations on what they need from each other during this time of change in order to execute against the change, for example, in order to move through the change. Change agreements define what the team believes they need in order to have a productive and enjoyable experience. So change agreements include very specific behaviors and practices that the team identify as essential to the change process. So you introduce this early on, right? Early on in the change process. And it can simply be an open-ended question you ask them to complete in order to move through this change really well and ensure it's a success. What do we need to do? And have them share what they think needs to happen. Right. And so I want to share a set from another another team. Another team said, you know what, we need to speak positively about this change in public. Right. We need to be champions of this change. We need to, if we've got issues, absolutely we need to bring them forward. But public facing, we need to be fully supportive of this change. So speak positively about it. The next agreement for this one team was, well, we need to agree that we'll raise issues when they have them, when we have them. We're not going to let all of the issues pile up in a corner and ignore them. We're going to raise them when we have them and talk through them for the purpose of finding a solution. Great. Their next agreement is, you know what? I, I, we need to be able to ask for help when we need it. We've got a lot of change going on and I'm already feeling overwhelmed just thinking about this one. So I think we need an agreement where we ask for help when we need it. And another agreement that speaks to offering help. Let's be proactive in offering help and checking in. So those are four very simple yet powerful agreements. Speak positively about the change, raise issues when we have them for the purpose of finding a solution and not letting them pile up, ask for help when we need it, and offer help. Right? This is what this team identified given their experience with change and the kind of change. Change agreements are a powerful way to build dialogue. They help clarify expectations and create a process of continuous improvement and focus on working together during times of change. But I want to put a caveat here. Developing change agreements once and never referring to them again will only actually break trust and break teamwork down and break cohesion down. If you're going to develop change agreements, develop with them with the commitment to using them as part of your team process. Come back to them regularly in your team meetings and check in on how are we doing speaking positively about the change. How are we doing raising issues? How are we doing asking for help? How are we doing offering help? And, and have the team build a dialogue around how they're doing living up to the agreements. And then ask, are we missing anything? Do we need to add anything? Do we need to support each other in any different way in order to move through this change as effectively as possible? They should be used as a way to keep the dialogue centered around productly, productively moving through the change as a team. And change agreements should evolve, 
right? So for example, when, when COVID first hit and teams were thrust into this digital remote world, right? Change agreements were actually quite similar in, a, in some ways than they are now with, with the hybrid models coming. But some of them included, you know, we need to be patient with each other. We need to check in on each other's mental health and well-being. We need to reset around what our goals really are right now. We need to communicate every day, right? So the change agreements then could be different than what they are now, right? So for example, some teams who are looking at building change agreements, um, as they develop their return to the workplace policy, right, whether it's a, a hybrid approach or otherwise, have developed some, some similar themes in their change agreements. We agree to keep an open mind through this process. We agree to remember that there are many moving pieces and the organization, we trust that the organization is going to do its best to keep everyone's best interest in mind. We agree to voice our concerns and find creative solutions, right? Change agreements are powerful in bringing people together to talk about what they need from one another in order to move forward. So let's just recap here, right? We've talked about building dialogue as a means to move through the change process. We talked about the need to introduce change at a high level right away as early as possible with the focus on not telling people what their experience is going to be like and telling them exactly what to do, but to invite dialogue by asking questions. We talked about the importance of ongoing communication, frequent and transparent sharing of information, the importance of demonstrating empathy and that you care and developing change agreements. So we're going to come back to this on the other side of break and dive a little bit more deeply into how to show you care and the importance of engaging people every step of the way and how to do that. Okay, so we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at WaterstoneHC.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. All right. Before we jump into this last piece of the episode, I want to encourage you to check out uh, waterstonehc.com. Check out our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program because it's through that program where we dive into leading um, people through change and building a high-performance culture every step of the way. You know, we're talking about leading change here, but, but it's really bigger than that, right? You have an opportunity right now that's unique. The time is now to intentionally craft your culture. Your post-pandemic culture is changing whether you like it or not, right? And so you can either roll the dice and let the culture change on its own and cross your fingers and hope for the best, or you can choose to intentionally craft it. And no matter the type of culture you want to create, it starts with every culture must have a foundation of trust and respect and cohesion. People pulling in the same direction towards that common culture. And that requires dialogue. And that requires people being able to lead themselves and each other through change effectively. We know, and I've said this so many times, right? Change is inevitable. Progress is optional. Progress only happens when we know exactly what we want to achieve through this change and bring people along and enable them to bring their best selves every step of the way. And so we know that there are actually three phases to any change process. And this is Kurt Lewin's change model. There's the unfreeze phase, the very first stage. There's the transition and there's the refreeze. Unfreezing is all about opening people's mindset to the need for change. It is unfreezing the status quo and people's sort of grasp of holding on to the current state, unfreezing mindset and behavior so that people are ready for the change to come. That's the first phase. The second phase is transition. It's actually doing the change. It's the changing of the behaviors, which can be very difficult. It is the following new procedure, new processes, right? Learning new skills. It's stepping outside of our comfort zones. It's making the change happen. And then the third piece is the refreeze piece. It is refreezing. It's freezing that new state so we don't fall back to the previous way of doing things. 
right? I think about moving from paper to digital and, and so many clients I worked with were holding on to, I want to, you know, chart on paper. I want to do it the old way. I don't want to use all this technology, right? And so processes needed to be put into place to refree so people didn't go back to the old ways of doing things. Now, thinking of these three phases and what we've just talked about, about dialogue and the ending phase, you know, what, what do you think is the most important of the three? Unfreeze, transition, or refreeze? And it's interesting because when I ask leaders in my sessions which, they, which ones they think are most important, I get different responses. Some people say unfreeze, some people say transition, and some people say refreeze. The most important phase, however, they're all important, but there's one that's more important, and that is the unfreeze phase. Because if we don't build the support and buy-in for change early on at the beginning of the process, we will not be able to transition. It will either take far longer to execute the change or it will fail because people are not ready, do not believe in it, do not support it. There will be a lot of resistance if we do not unfreeze well. And so unfreezing requires dialogue. It requires that leaders role model a set of behaviors and practices that build dialogue. It's essential that leaders role model in the unfreeze phase, and by the way, way before the unfreeze phase, but in, in particular at the beginning stages of change, building of psychological safety. One of the five attributes of a culturepreneur that I've spoken about that we look at in the building high-performance teams and cultures program, not just look at, you know, build strategies and tools and, and, and arm leaders with what they need to build the psychological safety needed. Without psychological safety, true dialogue can't happen. And without dialogue, people are not going to be able to get to a place to embrace the change. Role modeling also communicating effectively and recognizing as a leader that one style of communication does not fit all. And being socially aware of the needs and styles of your team members in order to build dialogue. Some team members might be comfortable, for example, talking in groups. Others may feel more comfortable speaking one-on-one. -on -one. So you may need to reach out one-on-one -on -one to some team members to better understand their perspectives about the change and to have coaching conversations with them. So psychological safety, communication, and bespoke communication, adapting your style to meet your team members to build the dialogue. Also, being able to build meaning around the change, connecting people meaningfully through dialogue to how they contribute to the success of the change so that they understand that their participation, right, their unique skills, their roles will have a significant impact, a meaningful impact on the success of the change and therefore a success of the organization. Connecting people through dialogue with respect to how they contribute and will contribute to the success of the change process. Bringing it back to that. Because part of battling change fatigue right? Part of engaging people effectively in change is creating meaning for them through that change, is helping them to find joy in the change, 
because they know that they are contributing meaningfully to it, right? Also, you want to role model empowerment, empowering others to contribute their skills, to make decisions, to run with the change in a clear and effective way that's aligned with their roles, of course, but stepping out of the center of the circle, enabling others to step up and take on. And we can empower others when we, again, have dialogue and we're clear with respect to what our expectations are, right? And how, um, what they need to do in order to achieve it. When you're asking questions and create space for them to ask you questions about priorities and best practices, they can share ideas that they're thinking with you on how to go and execute it so that there's shared responsibility and accountability here. It's not you dictating to them so that change is being done to them, but they feel empowered to implement the change on their own, where change is being done by them instead of to them. And then finally, role modeling recognition, right? Showing appreciation for all of the little things that people do on the way to achieving that vision, to executing against that change. People want to feel valued and recognized in meaningful ways, and not just by you, the leader, but as a team. Create the dialogue to celebrate successes, right? In team meetings, ask, what did we do really well last week in alignment with this change? And then the last attribute that you want to role model through dialogue is continuous improvement. It's shared learning. And you can use your change agreements to do that. Regularly come back and say, after you've talked about what you've done well and say, okay, what do we need to do even better? What, what could we do differently to have an even better result? Or what are you noticing where we need to shift a little bit? Or how can we support each other better? The last attribute of, of the culturepreneur that I've talked about in previous episodes is, is shared learning. It's creating an environment of continuous improvement so that we can have a dialogue about taking risks. We can talk about the mistakes we've made and what we've learned from them. In change, in order to progress, we need to be able to know we can make mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. But unless we have the freedom and the, the structured dialogue, if it's not happening naturally to have these conversations, then, then we won't progress. And people will keep their mistakes to themselves and, and operate in a state of fear. And we won't change effectively. So for all of those reasons, right, that's why unfreeze is so essential. We need to prime the pump. And if you're not already building dialogue, don't wait for the next big change, the next big pandemic to hit before you start having the dialogue needed in your team to build cohesion and trust. Start today. And that might require a shift. It might require an uncomfortable shift. Building dialogue requires vulnerability. We talk a lot about vulnerability and how to build it um, in our building high performance teams and culture session. And nobody is more of an expert on vulnerability than Brene Brown. So if you want to read up on how to be a vulnerable leader who can step into conversations that 
you may not have control over or know how it's actually going to end. Read Brene Brown. Right? Also, pick up the book Winner Instinct. I have a whole chapter there. Leslie and I have a chapter on building dialogue. And so at the end of the day, the most essential practice is building dialogue. Without it, we cannot build the trust and cohesion necessary to excel. And so just to summarize on those five attributes that enable dialogue, that are core to dialogue, the most important is psychological safety. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, go to waterstonehc.com and download our ebook because it has the five attributes that I've just talked about. And it has um, questions associated with each of the five attributes that you can ask yourself to determine the degree to which each is present within your own leadership and within your own team. So psychological safety, right? Some things to consider is, are there questions asked regularly in my team meetings? Are people raising issues, sharing ideas, right? Do people feel free to speak up or is that an area that I need to shift, right? Um, accountability. Are, do people take ownership for change and run with it? Do we see an energy of ownership on my team, right? If not, what do I as a leader need to do to start shifting in that way? Meaning, do I see joy in my team members, even in hard times? Are my team members connected meaningfully to the work? If not, look at building dialogue around that and how you might be able to shift how you show up and how you're having your conversations in connecting people meaningfully to the work and, and their impact and how they contribute to it. Recognizing impact as opposed to solely the outcomes, right? Think truly how often do you recognize and show appreciation? And then finally, continuous improvement and shared learning. Are you building a culture through dialogue where people can learn with and from one another for the purpose of learning and progressing and innovating? Those five core attributes require dialogue to strengthen. And so I really encourage you to, to download our ebook. Um, in order to truly understand how to how to implement them. And certainly check out our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures where you get an entire toolkit and all of this great learning around each of those five attributes. You can also check out Marty Parker's book, The Culturepreneur, How to Craft Culture for Competitive Advantage. In that book, that book tells you how to build a high-performance culture that drives the performance of your organization, as well as gives you an overview of the five attributes. So with that, I wish you all the very best. I know there's a lot of change that's coming. I'm here to support you. If you have any questions or have any questions about how to lead your team through change or even yourself through change, feel free to reach out through the Voice America site or at waterstonehc.com in particular. I am here to support you every step of the way. And next week's episode is all about how to thrive through conflict. All right. Until next time, I wish you all the best. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.